0: Welcome to Pro Se Law 360's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Amber McKinney, and I'm here with my co hosts, Alex Lawson.
1: Hello, Amber. Hello, Haley.
0: And Haley Knopf. Hey, hey.
1: We have an incredible show for you this week, you guys, and we'll talk more about that in a second. I did want to sort of uh, square a circle that we've had open for a while because we got some closure in the. This is one of those like pro se hobby horse stories, I would say. Some closure in the infamous Anna DeArmas cut from the movie trailer.
0: Oh, lawsuit. right. Yeah. Alex, I think I remember this one. This is the one where fans had sued because she appeared in the trailer but was cut from the resulting movie that was put out. So they that, sued, saying like they wouldn't have paid to go to the movie if they didn't know Anna DeArmas wasn't going to be in it.
1: That's accurate. I said cut from the movie trailer. She was cut from the movie and was in the trailer, and right. it was like a false advertising type of thing um this bubbled up oh gosh uh like a year and a half ago at this point and then we also discussed it at the end of the year because it had actually passed a it was either a motion to dismiss or some preliminary thing where the judge actually thought that there was there might be some legs to it but that all came crashing down this week uh, in California uh, the federal judge there just said this is uh completely speculative and a completely inadequate sort of class certification uh, attempt. The thing was, it it wasn't even about going to the movie. It was about people who rented the movie from Amazon. And the judge who was overseeing it just said, um, you know, I gave you a lot of chances, kind of what I was just saying. He (laughs) said, I gave you a lot of chances to kind of modify your complaint with things that we're talking about. And then a very ominous line from the from the uh, from the dismissal this week was: "In each prior dismissal, the court has clearly delineated the pitfalls of the complaint and allowed successive amendments. However, it now appears to the court that further amendments would be a futility." Um, oh like, wow! Yeah, this is the third time the consumers had been allowed to amend their lawsuit, and then the judge also said it shall be the last. Oh my just, gosh. It sounds like the Emperor in Return of the Jedi or something. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so that's uh, that kind of petered out. I was interested about that because it was like, the main question there was like, whether like a movie trailer is artistic expression or a commercial. And we didn't even really get to that threshold here because the judge thought that the suit here is just entirely speculative. But yeah. uh, anyway, that's where we're at on that.
2: That was a really interesting one. I'm glad we got some closure on it. Like you mentioned, Alex, we have... A fantastic show today. I am personally very excited about it. Speaking of pro se hobby horses, uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what one of the things that we talk about perhaps a little uh, a little too much on occasion is The Bachelor. And we were so lucky to Alex and I just had a great conversation with. Uh, James Pierce. He is a big law attorney at Mayor Brown, and he was on the most recent season of The Bachelorette. So make sure you stick around for that.
0: I cannot wait to hear that, you guys. I remember him as the guy who brought donuts and cider, which yep. we're getting close oh, to it fall. Came up.
1: Oh, it came up in the conversation, oh, Amber. Oh,
0: love it, love it. So everybody stay for that, but let's get into some news because we have some of that to cover before we kick off with that that interview. I actually want to talk about how after the most recent Supreme Court term, one of the biggest cases was overturning affirmative action in college admissions. And many at the time had predicted that ruling would reverberate in the workplace as well. And boy, were they right. We're starting to see that now. And I want to talk about how that's manifested in big law. This past week, the American Bar Association condemned recent actions from elected officials and advocacy groups that are challenging law firms' diversity programs in light of that high court ruling. The ABA has said it's, quote, deeply troubled by these efforts to basically end diversity efforts at firms.
1: There's a lot of prongs to this, obviously. And if it was just, I've seen this bubble up in the news here and there, you know, about people from various quadrants of the media, sort of, there's some backlash against, like, diversity inclusion programs but the fact that the ABA kind of decided to weigh in on this is, is is why we're talking about it here. But I do want to situate everybody about what exactly the beef is. So tell us more about that.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of things that have bubbled up that resulted in the ABA pushing back. So the American Alliance for Equal Rights filed separate lawsuits, one against Perkins Coie and the other one against Morrison Forrester last week. In those suits, they allege that the law firm's fellowships that are dedicated to minorities amount to unlawful racial discrimination. If that organization sounds familiar, it's fronted by Edward Blum, whose legal challenge was the one that culminated in the Supreme Court ruling in June that struck down race based admission practices at Harvard and the University of North Carolina. So he's back at it, still with this, but now targeting these law firm programs. In addition to that, a group of five Republican attorneys general sent a letter to AMLA 100-level firms advising those firms to terminate any race-based quotas or preferences. The letter has some pretty strong wording. I wanted to read this one sentence about that push in the letter to have them terminate those programs. Quote, if you choose not to do so, know that you will be held accountable sooner rather than later for treating individuals differently because of the color of their skin. So there are mincing no words there. Those five attorneys general are serious about this as well. In particular, the letter states that firms' pursuit of Mansfield rule certification, and that's the thing that's awarded to law firms that have at least 30% diverse lawyers represented in leadership roles, they say that that type of certification is breaking state and federal law based on the Supreme Court's decision.
2: Okay. Well, so what did the ABA have to say about
0: all of these arguments? Well, first, the ABA pointed out some stats. Just 6% of lawyers are Hispanic, while Hispanics make up 19% of the U.S. population. Very similar for Black attorneys, there's only 5% of lawyers are Black, while they make up 13% of the overall population. ABA President Mary Smith also highlighted that diversity is good for business. Clients are often demanding diverse legal teams. And she generally lauded diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts at firms. This was the quote from the ABA president. Efforts to open the opportunities in the legal field to underrepresented groups would be significantly damaged by the loss of diversity and pipeline programs. So just a full-throated endorsement of keeping those programs. The ABA knows what it's up against and what the arguments are on the other side, but they want to keep these in place.
1: I do want to give a nod as we often do to our own reporting on this on this issue the diversity snapshot it came out some weeks ago and we do it every year. Everyone does a great job on that. This is a very active dispute here though and I mean I just you know these these lawsuits have been filed and clearly the ABA has made its opinion known. I mean is there some sort of best practices or some way that firms that might be well intentioned in this area should Conduct
0: themselves, given all this turmoil that's going on? Turmoil is the right word. So it really depends on who you ask, what you should do if you're in law firm leadership right now. Blum told Law 360 that, and this is a quote, It is regrettable that the ABA is endorsing employment practices that exclude certain applicants because they are the wrong race. Lawyers should know that the law does not permit racial discrimination in order to achieve proportional racial outcomes in any profession. So." if you are in that camp, the advice is, do nothing, stop these programs. Meanwhile, the ABA remains uh, steadfast. They are urging firms not to give up on their programs because increasing diversity is a goal that the ABA also has as part of its rubric. Instead, they're calling on firms to identify ways to comply with a law that still promote diversity and inclusion. So I If I were going to prognosticate, I would say that the next steps will be firms trying to find what is a middle ground here where they're not running afoul of any Supreme Court ruling, but they're still fostering diversity. We just have to wait to see what exactly that middle ground is.
1: Always keep our eye on the industry trends that have the big shops talking. I wanted to now pivot to a couple of interesting stories, really, that both involve the consumer products giant 3M. And 3M has been Quite busy this week. The company struck a $6 billion deal to settle hundreds of thousands of lawsuits from people who say that they suffered hearing loss after they used the company's earplugs. And that settlement came on Tuesday. And that basically put an end to the largest mass tort litigation in U.S. history. So, no small feat there. And also, threw a very interesting wrinkle into this pretty hot debate over the way companies use bankruptcy to escape massive legal exposure. Uh, And in fact, on the very same day that that settlement was struck—the the $6 billion settlement over these earplugs, the company moved ever closer to finalizing a $12.5 billion settlement over its role in contaminating municipal water supplies with so-called forever chemicals. So it's been quite a pricey week for 3M.
0: Yeah, just a little back of the envelope math there, that's $18 billion worth of settlement news. So we need to get into the particulars here. Let's take them one at a time. Earplugs first. What happened?
1: Earplugs first, always. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's a serious thing. Um, As I said, this was, by most metrics, the largest multi-district litigation in the history of the of U.S. courts. And according to some estimates at a given time, represented um, about a third of the entire U.S. civil court docket. So think about that for a second. It's all like a third of the entire civil court docket in the United States focusing on this case. And the reason for that is because there were about 260,000 active claims in various courts, all centering on These allegations that earplugs that were made by a 3M subsidiary, it's a company called Aero, actually caused hearing loss, which is kind of the opposite of what earplugs are supposed to do. They're supposed to prevent (laughs) hearing loss.
2: Thank you for reminding us.
1: Well, yeah, (laughs) I mean, I think that's important to flag. Most of the claims were actually from veterans of the U.S. Armed Forces because the earplugs were in their largest number used in military training and active operations between 2003 and 2015. But the suits all allege that the company hid design flaws regarding its earplugs and fudged test results about their efficacy and also failed to provide proper instructions about how to use them, all of which contributed to hearing loss. There are obviously some variances across, you know, a quarter million claims, but that is the basic nut of what we're talking about here. And the earplug litigation was very notable, not only for its size, which you already talked about, but the fact that there were 16 bellwether trials. I mean, that, and that's a lot. I mean, bellwether by its design is really supposed to be one initially. And this was so massive. There were 16 trials so far since the MDL formed in 2019. 10 of those trials resulted in losses for 3M with verdicts totaling over $250 million. So like you say, Amber, do some back-of-the-envelope math, this was going to get quite pricey for 3M if it kept going in this direction.
2: It perhaps is not that surprising that they uh, went the settlement route. So where does bankruptcy come into play here?
1: Yeah, so about three years after this MDL got set up, Arrow, the company that makes these earplugs, the 3M subsidiary, filed for bankruptcy, which we see all the time. We've talked about it here on Pro Se quite a bit. And they did so by forming a separate entity that takes on its liability in this litigation. This is commonly known as the Texas Two-Step, and we covered it in detail in a trial involving Johnson & Johnson, and you should check out episode 283 if you want to hear more about that. But the main takeaway that in that Johnson & Johnson trial, um, the Third Circuit issued a ruling that basically made it more difficult for companies to do that, to form a separate company that takes on your legal liabilities and then declare bankruptcy from that entity. So in this case, over the earplugs with 3M, the court actually denied Arrow's attempt to file bankruptcy. They said that the company is not financially distressed enough to do this and basically called them out for trying to game the system here. That decision, the denial of that bankruptcy declaration, was under appeal at the Seventh Circuit But because of this settlement, all those appeals are now set to be wiped away under the terms of this deal. And so that kind of throws just a a sort of temporary roadblock in what would have been another circuit court weighing in on whether you can use bankruptcy laws in this way. A lot of people think this is probably going to the Supreme Court in any case, but people who follow the bankruptcy space were eager to see whether it would pass muster in this circuit when it didn't in the Third Circuit.
0: That is all very interesting, and that would have been a segment in and of itself. But we also have forever chemicals to talk about, another thing that has cropped up on the ProSake podcast in the past. So tell us about that aspect of this.
1: Yeah, this is just a little more housekeeping stuff. And it was sort of dumb luck that this happened on the same day, the $6 billion earplug settlement. And then also there was movement in this other settlement, which we've talked about before. That's episode 304, if you want to scale back. The basics here is that 3M has agreed to pay $12.5 billion to settle a suit brought by two dozen state attorneys general over the contamination of their municipal water supplies by so-called forever chemicals that are present in firefighting foam that is manufactured by 3M. And the reason we're talking about it this week, on the same day that this earplug settlement was rolled out, the South Carolina judge that is overseeing this forever chemical case Preliminarily approved this $12.5 billion settlement Um, after making changes to the settlement agreement that would ensure that local water providers, so like municipal providers, would not be held liable for future exposures to forever chemicals. This is always an issue in like sort of public nuisance litigation or things like that. If you are responsible for some contaminant and then you agree to settle, it's like, well, how long am I? On the hook for here exactly, if you find something else. So that deal is taking shape and they are kind of winnowing away some of the edges of it and all of that. I bring it up also to say that the settlement is still, as I said, this was brought by two dozen state attorneys general, and it's very difficult to get two dozen AGs to agree on almost anything. And there was a letter written some weeks ago by AGs from California, DC, and a few other states that have basically said that this settlement is not good enough. That $12.5 billion is not enough to make our water systems safe from chemical contamination. So that is still moving through the court. Nothing is a done deal here. But as I said at the top, quite a busy week for 3M, and it doesn't seem like it's going to be slowing down anytime soon.
0: If you've been listening to the Pro Se podcast, you know how much the legal industry is thinking about artificial intelligence. If you're among the attorneys worried that AI will cut into your revenue, you may want to look into Overture Law. What's Overture? It's an attorney-to-attorney referral platform that's ethical and also easy. Generate referral fees for the matters you can't service by handing them off to vetted attorneys. If AI has you worried, unlock the revenue you've been passing up by checking out Overture.law today. That's not .com, it's Overture.law.
2: Pro se listeners know, perhaps all too well, that we here are Bachelor fans. And of course, in particular, we love watching the attorneys who get cast on the show. Lawyers who, for whatever reason, tend to be solo practitioners or associates at smaller practices. That is not the case for our guest this week. He's a contestant on the most recent season of The Bachelorette and a banking and finance associate at Mayor Brown in Chicago. Fellow Bachelorette viewers may recall the incredible surprise gift his parents put together for charity on night one, complete with apple cider, baked goods, and a letter. James Pierce, welcome to Pro Se.
3: Hey guys, thanks for having me. Uh, Glad to be on and, and glad to talk with you today.
2: So before we get more into your time on The Bachelorette, I want to hear a little bit about why you even decided to apply for the show. Were you a fan? Were you? Is this like the only way to get out of the big law bubble these days? (laughs) Is this a new marketing campaign for Mayor Brown, perhaps?
3: Oh, I wish. I would love to uh, take a step back from associate jobs and just be a uh, full-time marketer for the firm. What's funny is my like bachelor journey started in 3L of law school. i had never seen the show before. I obviously everybody's heard of it. You know, it's like one of the more well-known reality TV dating shows. And during 3L year, when we had nothing else to do, me and my buddies would go over to a friend's house and we would watch The Bachelor every week and we would make fun of all the contestants (laughs) every week lawyers they're just like us folks yeah 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 um no and i mean like looking back on that it's so funny because like the same thing happened to me where you'll you're on the other side of it now and you see people commenting about stuff that you did on the show and it's just i mean it's funny because i used to be that guy and now now i'm on the other side of it so but um when i was studying for the bar my buddy's girlfriend actually nominated me And when they got back to me, I immediately deleted the email because I thought this is spam. Uh, It's not real. (laughs) Like, there's no shot that they're actually interested. Um, And I didn't actually go through the whole process the first year. Uh, And then when this year rolled around, I thought it'd be a good idea to try it again. And so I put my name in the hat and was lucky enough to get accepted and to move on and to uh, meet the great cast that we had this season and meet Charity Lawson, who was absolutely wonderful and exactly what. What you see on TV, she was um, she was a terrific lead for the
2: season, and no relation to our own Alex Lawson.
3: Yeah, thank you for clarifying that. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Not to my knowledge. That's so interesting to hear you say that. I I feel like I've I listen to a lot of Bachelor and Bachelorette contestant interviews, and it is a lot of like, oh, my friends put me up for it, and it was kind of a joke, and then and then all of a sudden you're on TV, so that that <laughs> yeah. that, that does track. But I'm curious to know just. Pure logistics, and I, I understand your point about it starting in 3L, but, you know, um, major white-shoe law firms, like the one that you work for, Mayor Brown, they tend to be quite image-conscious, and yeah. I am just curious to know, like, what going on this show meant with regard to your job at this law firm. Like, the idea of, like, you have to step away from casework and clients, mm-hmm. did they have any pause about it? this kind of, I mean, I love it, but like, you know, a, a certain <laughs> sort of higher up could see it as, I don't know, salacious or whatever. I would right, love to know right. more about that process if there even was one.
3: Yeah. So from the get go, it was like universal support, which I was shocked by. So <laughs> me <first> too, honestly. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah <I> mean, <laughs> you think about big law, you think like, Oh, stuffy, like old guys in suits, like nobody has any fun, but this isn't like a pitch for mayor Brown, by the way, but like Honestly, I, I started off by talking to like the guidance counselor role in the firm. And I was like, hey, I've got something that I guarantee you, you have never had to deal with. Before, ever. <laughs> and she was like, all right, hit me. I've heard everything. I was like, I bet you haven't heard this. Um, was wondering what your thoughts would be on like me going on reality TV and being on The Bachelorette. And she was like, you're right. I have never heard about this before. <laughs>
2: yeah. This
3: is way outside my purview. So then after that, it was like, it was conversations with firm management. Uh, It was conversations with our like risk team. And then finally, you know, well, I guess more initially than that was conversations with the partners that I work for a lot. And I do the majority of my work for two partners here in the fund finance group. And they were, they thought it was hilarious. They were like, yes, (laughs) you have to go. Uh, a different, a different partner was like, if you don't go, I'm not going to give you any work anymore wow, look at that! this is, <laughs> is going to be the coolest thing that's ever happened to me by proxy. Um, and no, I was grateful for that. It made, it made stepping away really a lot easier. And sure. then coming back was, was kind of a breeze just because everybody was on, you know, team James. They were having, <laughs> oh yeah, they were having, they were having weekly meetings when I was on the show oh, you know, to talk about the spoilers and be like, oh do we think James is still on there? Is he home yet? Like, what's he been doing? Oh, I saw this picture that Reality Steve posted about him or something. So to hear about all that, that was really flattering. Um, And it was nice. I, I think it speaks to a, a good firm culture if you let your associates do something as crazy as going on reality TV.
2: Yeah, kind of a follow-up to that. When you're asking for, even beyond just getting permission, when you're asking for the leave, mm-hmm. I've heard, uh, you know, on other... As Alex mentioned, yeah, I also listen to uh, probably too many uh, interviews with various Bachelor (laughs) contestants. And it's always like, well, I could be gone for a week. I could be gone for three months and then come back engaged. Like, who knows? And logistically, that's got to be kind of challenging for an employer. What did you, were you like, "Uh, sorry, I mean, maybe I'll (laughs) be back next week or not.
3: Yeah. So um, basically what I did is I was just like, hey, there's a certain period of time that I could be gone. Um, I'm just going to take a leave of absence. And they had paperwork drawn up for it. It was like, OK, you know, if you're gone a week, it'll look like this. If you're gone, you know, several weeks, it'll look like this. Um, so that process was actually the easiest. I had kind of forgotten to do that until like three days before I was leaving. Is <laughs> uh-huh. the partners were like, "You've talked to HR, right?" I was like, "What?" No,
0: <laughs> and they're like, "You need to tell them
3: that you're leaving. It's not just our decision." I was like, "Okay." Uh, and the head of the head of the HR like subcommittee that deals with this stuff was a massive fan of the show, and he expedited everything and got it all taken care of. Like I don't know, five hours before I was slated to actually leave. So
2: fantastic. Well, so as I mentioned earlier, the franchise does have a long history of casting attorneys and a lot of them have, you know, gone on to some very successful uh, franchise careers like Rachel Lindsay for instance, mm-hmm. the first Black Bachelorette. She was an attorney at a mid-sized litigation firm when you were preparing to go on the show. I'm curious if you like slid into any attorney contestant DMs or like watched their seasons for inspiration. That
3: would have been a great idea. Uh, no, I didn't do any of that. I I was like, I, I didn't know who to really ask for help. I didn't know if there were, if people would even respond to me if I reached out to them. So I I didn't reach out to any former attorneys. I did DM a couple of guys that had been on seasons past that I thought were, were you know, represented themselves really well. I was trying to see what they thought about the experience and to see, you know, what recommendations they had. But uh, understandably, I did not get a response for any of that, so <laughs> okay. I kind of flew yeah. completely blind into the whole process, which I think I wouldn't change anything about that. I think that makes it more authentic, and you know, sure. regardless of of how the outcome was for me, I think that whoever is the lead would a, a lot more appreciate somebody coming in blind versus somebody that was like, "Yeah, I know, uh, I know how to do this," and then on week on week six, I'm supposed to say this to you and all that because sure. I know. I think there's a book out there about how to oh, win yes, the Bachelorette. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I, I own that I, book. <laughs> did you? Is it
3: good? Is it a good read?
2: It's it's funny. It's mostly just funny because it's written by two TV comedians or like comedy writers. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Nice.
1: So <laughs> um, yeah,
2: it's it's just funny. But but yeah, they take it very seriously.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um I like Don't even want to look at it because I don't want to see mistakes that I made. (laughs) I
1: think I think that's probably wise. Um, and I yeah, very
2: for the right reasons. Dare I say? Well, hey,
1: listen, not to go the the third rail there, but I'm gonna shoehorn in a question here that is probably the most like legal news podcast question you could ask. And I and I just give the disclaimer there to begin with. You know, I know like lawyers are just like other like any other people. They're not a monolith. Some people are introverts. Some people are Mm -hmm. extroverts, you know, and you know, some people are like sort of more aggressive, more passive, whatever. But I do think, I mean, I've been a legal reporter for over 10 years and like, I do know that they lawyers tend to be somewhat risk averse and, and, and somewhat analytical just by their nature. And so this is a long way for me to say, was there anything from your like legal training or your actual legal work that Kind of colored how you carried yourself on TV because you are you're, you're both trying to date someone, but you're also on television, which you're aware of. And I'm just kind of curious as to, you know, whether and to what extent your professional like training colored that at all.
3: Yeah, so it's interesting because I've always told people that law school definitely changes the way you talk, it changes the way you think, it changes the way you interact with people. <laughs> and I haven't noticed that about myself, but my buddies will tell me about it all the time. Oh, like yeah. there's a there's a scene or the the first scene where Charity and I are sharing the donuts, my buddy is like, "Of course after you were done eating it, you were like making the face like, 'Oh, it wasn't a bad donut.' It's like that's just totally you being like a, the weird lawyer that you are is that you don't, you're not like evaluating the moment. You're evaluating the donut that you're eating. So <laughs> I thought that was funny that, that somebody picked up on that. I was like, you know what I do? I did do that. And I feel like I do that a lot more since law school. Um, <laughs> donut appraisal, honestly, clearly yeah, yeah. donut <laughs> yeah. appraisal, like, Oh yeah, you know, this is not too stale. It's a, uh, pretty good. It's like, no, okay. <laughs> you just sit there and enjoy the moment that you're having. Um, but I think What's funny is uh, what actually I think prepared me most out of any of this was uh, moot court. I did moot court my 3L year and getting asked a question that you have no idea what the answer is to, like defending a side of something that you know is wrong sure, um, and having to do that in moot court and then going on to the Bachelorette and being like, okay, hey guys, uh, you're going to play Speedo Dodgeball now. It's like, oh, okay, I can (laughs) roll with this now because like I've had... A way, way more heart-wrenching experience. Getting cold-called and getting, you know, questions on moot court. That uh, I feel like I can do this now. And I felt like I was composed during the interviews and stuff during during my time on the show. Maybe like too uh, flat a little bit. Sometimes I would watch my my stuff on on the screen, and be like, man, I really could have <laughs> uh, injected a little bit of personality into this. But overall, you know, I I think. Law school helped helped in that way, that you're able to roll with the punch a little easier after mm-hmm. getting cold called.
2: Well, you had such a great cast this year, too. Uh, mm. Speaking of, you know, the group dates, like the Speedo volleyball, I always feel so bad for yeah, all the contestants during those sorts of things. But I do want to hear more about your castmates and friends you made.
3: Yeah, I mean going into night one, there, are, there are guys that like, I instantly sort of clicked with like John B was my buddy from, from night one. Uh, we talk all the time now. Nice. Um, we've been on a couple of trips together and then there were guys that you come away from it that you think, well, like initially that you have no, no real connection with at all in terms of like a friendship sort of deal. But then after filming's wrapped, you start talking to these guys and you're like, wow, these guys have so much depth to them. And they could be completely opposite of me. Like a guy like Brayden is a guy that is, you know, he's, he's very vocal. He's very like (laughs) outgoing. He's very sociable. And those are things that I'd like to be, but I'm just not all that, all that time, all the time. But with him, you know, we talk all the time now. He is such a nice guy. He is so genuine and he has so much depth to him. That was really surprising. And him and Aaron S are really good friends out in San Diego, and they'll sometimes call me when I'm stuck at the office, and they're like, "Yeah, we just got done surfing. Like, when are you gonna come out here and surf with us?" I'm like, "Oh, this is nice. Like, I've got these uh, these crazy California surfer guys calling me while I'm I'm sitting in my office at eight PM trying to wrap up a credit agreement." So that part has been amazing.
1: (laughs) That's so interesting to hear, and you hear that a lot. Again, I'm telling on myself when I listen to interviews (laughs) of other contestants. I trust your fielding. Earring suggestions from Brayden for yourself. I yeah. don't know if you got any, if you know of that going on. I have to ask about that only because you mentioned him.
3: Oh no, no, uh, yeah, Brayden, <laughs> Brayden definitely. He had the he had the market cornered on the niche fashion accessories, and honestly. I don't get how he gets away with it. They always look good on him.
1: That was my (laughs) remark, too. I was like, he kind of, I mean, he's like a big imposing guy or whatever. He kind of pulls it off. It's interesting.
3: He does. The dude could be sporting a pair of wind chimes around his ears, and he still looks cooler than I do when I'm trying to, like, you know, wear a nice three-piece suit, and this guy's over here wearing a scarf and a a hat and, like, (laughs) you know, wind chime (laughs) earrings. It's crazy, but (laughs) he's... He's got he's a got dream catcher. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, got a dream catcher dream dripping catcher. off his ear. He's got it.
1: <laughs> that answer is very interesting because that that kind of relates to what I wanted to ask next, which is that the show is over now and you, you didn't last very long, but that doesn't matter to us. We wanted to talk to you from the moment we <laughs> saw you. And I bring it up just to say that the people who go on these shows, you know, usually go in one of two directions after it wraps. They either lean full into like celebrity lifestyle, influencer lifestyle, join the bachelor extended universe, whatever it might be. <laughs> or they just return to relative anonymity. And I wanted to ask, I noticed that you're not going to paradise. I don't know if that was your choice or well the he could be choice. a late
2: could be a late arrival.
1: You never well, know you can you you can tell us if you want. You're probably bound <laughs> yeah. by Break some NDA that I don't know. That about.
2: Contract.
3: Yeah, go for yes. it. Yes.
2: <laughs> but anyway
1: How has your life been since the show ended is really what I wanted to ask.
3: Well, you know, let's just set the record straight. I did make it about halfway through. That's not too bad for a a lawyer out of Chicago. Um, Yes, yes. (laughs) No, but honestly, not too much has changed. Uh, You get recognized. I think I've been recognized twice. One person recognized me at an airport when I was watching a video of the rose ceremony and they're like, wait, that's you, isn't it? Oh, wow. Yeah, that is me. That's pretty embarrassing for you. Yeah, it's very (laughs) embarrassing for me. and then some guy in Indiana recognized me when I was hanging out with a couple of my buddies. But yeah, not too much has changed for me. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful for the experience, uh, you know, just alone on the friendships that I made. You know, I was, I was just in Las Vegas with Don and Charity celebrating their engagement. Like you don't get to do I mean, that kind of stuff doesn't really happen that often. And so that, That's awesome. that to me has been the, yeah, the, the biggest thing that I've gotten out of it. As to like future involvement, uh, who knows, you know, um, I'm not going to close the door on everything, but, um, but I'm, I'm happy with where I am now and I'm grateful (laughs) for the experience and it's, it's been a blast, honestly, everything from the beginning to the end. So awesome.
1: All right, last question. This is not really a question. I have a pitch, and this is better suited for ABC. We are in touch Uh with ABC. Maybe we'll see. But only because you're an attorney (laughs) and we got you on the show here. I wanted to bounce an idea off you. Maybe you can help me refine it a little bit, okay? The idea is basically Bachelor Court, which is a typical arbitration-style dispute resolution reality show like Judge Judy or the People's Court or anything like Hmm. that. But it's within, but it's within the bachelor universe. And the, the whole idea, I mean, this whole reality TV ecosystem thrives on people having beef with each other over some real or perceived transgressions. Mm -hmm. And I think you would be a great choice to preside over these proceedings in a moot bachelor court of sorts. You think there's any legs there? What do you think?
3: I think that's a great idea. But I think, you know, we've got a lot of challenges here. What are the standards for evidence? You know, what are you know what are what are the motions gonna be? You know, can I file a 12 B6 against something? Yeah, you know, I have no idea. <laughs> no, that's
1: good. I
2: think it's a I, great idea. These yeah. are the questions we have to ask as we develop this. Yeah, we're we're yeah.
1: workshopping the idea. That's very fair. I mean, in the in the actual people's court, those were real cases that were filed. Those are legal yep. claims that people then waive. And part of the waiver is that they go on TV to do this uh, arbitration. I'm thinking we don't even need, like, full, like, we don't even need rules of evidence here so much as, like, because I'm not talking about, like, oh, someone stole, like, my cat or something. I'm talking about, like, (laughs) someone was talking shit about me. I want you to rule on whether that is good or bad. Like, we're even outside, like statutes and things like that. This is more like etiquette or or stuff like that. I don't I know. Think, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I still I still think we'll need some evidentiary rules because you're gonna IG snatch are, are we looking yeah, yeah. Are we looking yeah, at I think it's actually better shots, with are a are ton we... of
3: like formulaic rules. I think that'd be funnier, right?
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well surprise <laughs> witnesses,
3: <laughs> which yes. aren't actually a thing. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. I'm gonna get on the phone uh with my contacts at ABC. We're gonna pitch this. Please, you know, we need we need a snappy name for it. What are you thinking just Bachelor Court?
1: Yeah, no, we can workshop that too. I don't know. Do you accept this verdict? I don't know. Something. <laughs> there we are. That's I don't know. Something. I don't do know. You, accept do, you, do verdict? you accept this No. <laughs> no.
3: Do you accept this judgment? No, no, no. Uh
1: yeah, we'll 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 work on it though. Yeah,
3: let's uh let's get on the phone. Have a have a chat. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, I I think it's got some legs, man. I think that's a great idea.
2: Well, this has been incredibly uh productive for our future reality career, so. but also just <laughs> Just fantastic talking to you, James. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today.
3: Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. really appreciated the time and uh, glad that we got to do this.
0: What a show, guys. I'm so excited that finally everyone's dreams have been realized and someone (laughs) in Bachelor Nation was part of ProSec.
1: I might hang it up. I might I might get out of the, <laughs> the podcasting game to be honest. I don't know. <laughs> Stay tuned, I guess, because I really don't know if I'm coming back.
0: We've we've reached the pinnacle.
2: Where do we go from here?
0: <laughs> uh well, everybody can find out next week. Thanks for, for being with us today, Alex. <laughs> thank you. And Haley. Thank you. I also want to thank our producers, Kelly Marcano and Stephen Trader, our guest this week, James Pierce, and our contributing reporters, Shumei Dong, Emily Field, Peter McGuire, and Marco Poggio. Music for our show comes from Silent Partner and Kelly Marcano. If you like Pro Se, we'd love it if you left a written review and five stars on your favorite podcast platform that really does help other people find our show. If you want to read more about anything we've talked about, that's when you go to our website. It's law360.com podcast. Thanks and see you back here next week.